Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by Compliance Institute. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series, giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, bringing challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. And welcome to the Compliance Files podcast of the Compliance Institute in Ireland. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, bringing challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. I'm Cathy Jacobs, former president of the Compliance Institute and a compliance professional for over 20 years. And it is a great pleasure for me to host this podcast. Most of us in compliance are conscious of the need to ensure that we do not engage in behaviour that could be characterised as anti-competitive. Compliance in general does not have a competitive advantage, and we are frequently in the company of and sometimes collaborating on projects such as regulatory consultations or even through ourselves in the Compliance Institute with fellow compliance professionals from competitor businesses. Competition law and compliance is often, if not always, dealt with in the legal departments in our employers and the expertise generally lies there and not in the compliance function. Notwithstanding, how should compliance professionals identify a potential competition issue to pass to our colleagues in legal? And how do we ensure that we do not place ourselves in breach of competition law in our own dealings with competitor compliance professionals? To answer some of these questions, I'm delighted to have with me today Philip Andrews. Philip leads McCann Fitzgerald's Competition, Regulated Markets and EU Law Group. Philip is one of the most experienced EU and competition law practitioners in Ireland. He previously served as legal advisor to the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission and assisted in drafting Ireland's primary competition law statute, the Competition Act 2002. He is co-author of Modern Irish Competition Law, a leading textbook on Irish competition law. Philip has received various accolades, such as inclusion in the well-known industry journal's annual review, Who's Who Legal, and the sole Irish practitioner listed as a thought leader in global competition reviews, Who's Who Legal Competition 2021. So I'm delighted uh, to have Philip uh, talk to me today. Um, So thank you very much, Philip, um, for for giving us your time. Well, thank you very much, Cathy. (coughs) Delighted to be here. Excuse me. And uh, it's a really timely moment to be talking about competition law as a major new act. The Competition Amendment Act 2022 is expected to come into force in the next few weeks. So, um, yeah, delighted to be here and thank you for having me on your podcast. Great. Thank, thanks, Philip. Um, OK, well, look, well, let's start at the beginning then. Um, why competition law? Um, what's the necessity for it? What's the background to it or the policy objective behind regulating in this area? Sure. It's a great question. Um, Competition uh, between firms is deemed by uh, most economists uh, as promoting efficiency and what economists refer to as consumer welfare. And that is um, when firms compete actively uh, and firmly against each other, prices will generally go down, quality of products will generally increase, uh, and innovation will be driven. And all of that is considered likely to be in the consumer interest, consumer welfare, if you like. Uh, That's the fundamental philosophy underpinning it. And you'll see that many nations across the globe have competition acts. And indeed, in one of the first acts, when the IMF came into Ireland after the bailout, the IMF looked to see how forceful Ireland's competition act. So it's kind of also a signal of a uh, modern uh, Western economy to have um, not just competition laws, but actively enforced competition laws. Thanks, Philip. And that will resonate with a lot of our listeners, you know, this, uh, the role in protecting consumer interests, actually. Um, and and could you explain what the regulatory framework are, the main laws and regulations sure, in this sure. area in, in, mm. in Ireland? It's, it's important as well because it's, it's a relatively um, mixed framework in that you have competition law 
coming from two different sources uh, and that apply concurrently. So um, we have had uh, in Ireland competition law since we joined the EU as part of the national uh, legal framework. Um, so the EU treaties contain two specific provisions um, geared towards ensuring competition across the EU, and they are Article 101 and Article 102 of the European treaties. And they apply to all actions that fall within their scope that affect a trade, trade between member states. So essentially to larger, larger business activities that fall within their scope. Um, at the same time, um, we have our own national law, and that's quite common across the EU to have um, to both the EU and the national, because the EU will only affect deals or acquisitions or agreements or behavior that affects tr trade between member states. So for our, to protect our own national economy, even at the local level, we have a Competition Act um, that dates from 1991 originally, was amended in 1996 and was replaced in 2002. And that's the primary competition law statute that you referred to in your kind introduction, thanks, um, that continues to be enforced today. And uh, most of the enforcement activity you'll see is um, around Irish competition law, not necessarily EU, although you'll be aware that the EU did, did conduct a dawn rape in the insurance space maybe two or three years ago, but the European Commission isn't as active as the Irish Competition Authority would be here, or I should say the CCPC now. Thanks, Philip. And um, who is the regulator in this area and what are his or her powers? Thanks, Cathy. So the regulator used to be called the Competition Authority. Um, in 2014, it was the Competition Authority was merged with the Consumer Protection Agency, and it is since known as the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission. It's a body with five government appointed members, um, including a chair who is now Jeremy Godfrey, very experienced regulator, ex uh, of Comreg. Um, and with that, uh, four other members appointed by government and a staff of around 100 people. Um, so the if I, if I might just give you a little bit overview of how that agency has developed over the last number of years, I think it's kind of interesting to look at, Cathy. But, you know, some um, a, along with the Irish economy over the last 20, 20 years, the agency had a sort of a boom, bust and recovery cycle. So um, with the adoption of the 2002 Act, uh, the um, the agency was, was very invigorated, um, had... Um, significant amount of staff and um it began a really strong campaign of forcing uh, of sorry enforcing um irish competition law including on average conducting around dawn raids and we'll come on to talk about what them 40 dawn raids a year it was doing and maybe issuing 70 mandatory information requests per year so it, it was very very busy <laughs> that significant level of enforcement um didn't continue, however. Uh, maybe post-2007, the CC, the Competition Authority, as it was then, um, the predecessor of the existing agency, sort of fell out of favour politically somewhat. Um, and many people would say that that was partly the agency's, to, a, agency's um, fault. I, I wouldn't comment on that. I think the environment became more difficult. But there was, you know, a significant focus on enforcing competition law uh, against farmers um, around the professions. And, and suddenly it became a little bit less politically um, uh, popular. At one point, um, you know, this, the staff were not being re replaced. Um, the members were not being replaced and the merger was proposed. And it was seen by many in the competition law community, myself as, as well, this merger of, with the Consumer Protection Agency, Agency as an existential uh, as ex existential point for the competition authority as it then was, but as I mentioned earlier, the IMF came to town, and I know that's a terrible period in our history. But one of the things the IMF did uh, as part of its first kind of audit of the Irish competition laws was to see how strong our um, our competition law was, and also to see how strong our competition law enforcement was. 
Uh, and so the IMF actually pushed the competition, pushed the government a little bit, uh, and the government realized that the CCPC needed to be um, rebuilt and needed to be a strong enforcement agency. And so it was merged in 2014 with the Consumer Protection Agency. It took on a lot of the Consumer Protection Agency powers, um, and um, it also has uh, competition law enforcement powers. And um, now we have, as I mentioned, also uh, a new uh, 22 Act that is going to come into force, Q1 this year, apparently, which will give the CCPC significant new powers, um, among other things, um, the power to adopt and impose what we call civil fines. So the ability to fine businesses large amounts of money without having to go to a criminal court process. We can come on to that, but that's, that's I hope, a, a sort of an overview of the agency and how it's, how it's developed. And right now, it's a, it's a very well-resourced, um, very well-run agency, um, and it is, I would expect, to be very active in the coming years. Okay, that, thanks, Philip. That's actually really interesting because you can see parallels even, you know, with financial services regulation, um, just in, in yeah. that timeline, um, how, uh, you, you know, in the early 2000s, there was this need for regulation. Um, and then, you know, the impact of the, the global financial crisis, even on, on competition in Ireland. So, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's actually it really hit every, really, every area. Really yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so if you could, um, Explain for our listeners what are the headline obligations or the main provisions of, of competition law. You know, competition law, when you write it down, is, is quite simple. Um, there's um, two, maybe three core provisions of what is now a, I think, 250-page act. Um, the core provisions are, uh, first, um, anti-competitive agreements are illegal, now, what constitutes an anti-competitive agreement is something we'll come back to. But the second um, uh, is that uh, an abuse of a dominant position is illegal. Um, and what constitutes a, an abuse and what constitu- constitutes a dominant position, <laughs> we'll come back to as well, because it's not it's not always clear. Um, the third is that merger and acquisitions between businesses that substantially reduce competition uh, may be prohibited by the CCPC. And we don't often see that, but we did see that in the last two months when Unifar's acquisition of a um, Navi, which I, I, I wasn't involved in the deal, but which was a software um, type company, um, involved was prohibited by the, by the CCPC outright. Um, so those are the core provisions. Um, you know, I think... Uh, Section four is the provision of the act that prohibits anti-competitive agreements. Uh, and there is a corresponding part in Article 101. Do you remember I mentioned about the EU treaty? Uh, so Section four prohibits anti-competitive agreements be- that have an effect within the members, within Ireland. Uh, and anything that has a lot wider effect will be caught by Article 101 of the EU treaty. Uh, and the sort of quintessential example of an anti-competitive agreement would be would be price, a price-fixing cartel where um, the a significant number of me- members of the industry get together and uh, in conspiracy secretly uh, agree the price to charge uh, consumers so that if consumers go to one place or another, they're not going to be able to get the shopping around. It's not going to be able to get any um, uh, any cheaper price. Um uh, the abuse of dominance provision is section five of the Competition uh, Act and uh, 102 of the treaty. Uh, and a, um, a kind of a, a classic example of uh, abuse of dominance would be, um, you know, uh, predatory pricing. Uh, I guess you don't see it that often, but where a, the large quasi monopolist in the industry prices so low in order to drive out the the new entrant um, because the new entrant can't get prices that recoup its cost and therefore that can't can't survive uh, and that's the classic example of a, or one classic example of an abuse of dominance most of those cases you might have seen headlines of Kathy about the cases against Google are against Apple are against uh, Amazon those will be abuse of dominance cases actually taken by um, uh, Commissioner van der Leyen in in Brussels. Um, 
Thanks, Philip. And what can the regulator do about um, anti-competitive agreements if they have suspicions um, or if they suspect that um, abuse of a dominant position has, has taken place? You know, it's a, it's a great question again, Cathy. And, um, you know, one of the things that you need that we, is evident around a conspiracy is that it's typically to be done in secret. Um, and so it's difficult um, for anybody, including a public enforcement authority, to find out about cartels. Um, now, the CCPC, like agencies in other countries, has a number of techniques to try to find out about cartels, including a immunity program whereby um, somebody who is in the cartel um, admits, uh, comes in, admits to the to the agency that uh, it's been in the cartel and gives all the evidence to the cartel to the agency. And that gives the agency not just notice of what happened, but sufficient evidence to prosecute. And that that does happen quite rarely in Ireland, actually. Um, and um, it, but it has been effective in uh, the prosecution of at least one case where there's been an immunity applicant who, who has been an active part of the cartel but who has then informed the ccpc so that is always something that uh, the ccpc likes to promote because it obviously creates a lot of instability and suspicion within conspiracy um, that somebody might might actually go away and inform and and get and, and get off then but the 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 actual enforcement powers beyond that are are quite uh draconian and um quite uh effective for the CCPC, albeit that it typically takes the CCPC quite a quite a bit of time in terms of evidence gathering. The first major power, and I guess, you know, you'll see this, Cathy, I'm sure, across many different um, regulators that you deal with um, in terms of the powers that they have to take public enforcement action. But and one, of the, one of the powers that the CCP use, CCPC uses a lot, and which is actually going to be more robust and an improved version in the 22 Act, is this power to demand, demand documents. So um, what you might see in this case would be the CCPC, uh, if, there, if there was a, a suspicion that markets in a particular sector weren't working effectively, or if they had a complaint from a business in respect of markets, the CCPC might decide that this is a case where um, if, we, if we write out to the parties, we demand uh, that they provide answers to our questions, um, and supporting documents, that might be the, the best way to do it. Um, obviously, that'll probably not be in the context of a cartel where they'll use their more draconian, robust powers, which I'll talk about next, their dawn raid powers. But uh, the document demands, actually, you see these used more frequently than dawn raid. So very often the CCPC will get concerns either from its own look and monitoring of uh uh, business press or the normal daily media, which it does a lot, it monitors free, frequently, um, and then we'll write to the exe- chief executive and require them by virtue of provisions of the law t- to answer these questions and to um, and to uh, provide the documents that the CCPC wants, corroborating the responses to the questions that the CCPC has, uh, and that is a um, that is the power that's used maybe. Uh, one in two times there's a dawn raid. So every time there's a dawn raid, you, you could expect that there's, there's also an, a double amount of document uh, demands going out to the parties. And it's a very effective way because uh, it gets the CCPC, all the information the CCPC needs, um, assuming that the, the business is complying with that document, Dan, and it, it's a crime not to, um, and it, it doesn't require the CCPC to engage in significant discussions around uh, documents that might be privileged or documents that might be outside of scope, which is and has been a problem associated with dawn raids for the CCPC since the very first one started. So dawn raids, as, as the name suggests, is, are, are surprise visits to a business where the CCPC has sufficient evidence um to uh to go to a district court justice and get a search warrant to search the business reasonable suspicion that evidence uh corroborating a serious violation of the competition act may be may be uh, may be um available on the business premises and by that that includes both the business premises and cars and on occasion 
um, it can include um, where the warrant specifically allows it uh, visits and uh, entry into executives' homes. And I've seen that happen a couple of times, and it's obviously relatively quite a traumatic process, particularly if there's a spouse or particularly if there's children when there's a visit of this type uh, taking place. Now, these dawn raids, because they're so intrusive, they're so, uh, in, in many ways, in, in su- such a violation of the core constitutional um so they aren't a legal violation because they're on the, on, on, uh, on the grant of a warrant by a, a district judge. But uh, because they're so um, intrusive, you will typically have uh, members of the Guardi, so uniformed Guardi, along with the authorised officers of the CCPC. So a classic dawn raid would involve three CCPC um, uh, authorised officers. Uh, knocking on the door of the business um, and they will try to get entry into the business as soon as possible. You know, they won't wait around um, politely having a cup of tea until the um, the chief executive or, or, or some other senior manager come arrives at the business. They will want to go straight in. And these days, you know, Cathy, the main thing they look at is not really the hard copy um, press, but they go straight to the IT, you know, so they, the CCPC will have their, their very own IT person who's, um, bit of an IT genius and we, he, he will uh, he, he or she will actually begin uh, immediately trying to download um, all areas of, of documents that are relevant to the warrant and you know that's where it gets really really complicated Kathy you know that's where uh, it's important to have to have compliance people and to have lawyers protecting the um, the businesses um, the businesses rights in this instance so the you know, there was this, um, and I won't go into, I won't bore you with legal uh, too much, but if you allow me, I'll, I'll just mention one case, uh, and that was the CRH case, in which the CCPC back in 2016 did a dawn raid on CRH offices. And you know, CRH is a massive, um, obviously, conglomerate with many different companies doing many different things. But the specific area that the CCPC were was investigating was uh, a potential abuse of dominance in respect of bagged cement. So just bagged cement, uh, not not cement generally. Uh, and it, it, the the company, uh, the CRH company under invest, investigation was, I think it was called ICL. Um, the CEO um, that the CCPC had named on the warrant was a particular individual. Uh, that individual was CEO of ICL, but at the same time, because it's CRH, he had been CEO of many different other operating entities within the CRH group. Uh, and so when the IT guy, the CCPC IT guy, uh, copied the CEO's uh, inbox, which is typically what they're looking for, they look at your emails, he copied, you know, three years of in- emails uh, in and out. Uh, that necessarily involved enormous amounts of I- information that wasn't necessary. it wasn't just potentially privileged and confidential as communication between lawyers, but was also um, private information, you know, um, uh, and then we have a data protection issue, but and it was also information that was outside the scope of the investigation because, you know, clearly he had many different functions um, beyond bag cement. So that actually went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court was quite critical of how the CCPC had done the Dawn Raid felt that better efforts should be made to ensure that the bulk seizure of electronic data is more targeted. And by that, um, you typically wouldn't use search search words uh, on the premises. So the CCPC may start, I suppose, my point, making their dawn rates a little bit longer. And this is the way the European Commission does them. Um, it's a little bit of a nightmare for the business because it takes longer, but the European Commission will actually go into the business uh, with um, specific search terms uh, identified and will only use those search terms and will only take away information that uh, responds to those search terms. But that takes a lot longer because it's sorting. The, the, the main point, I suppose, to emphasize in the context of this podcast, which I'm delighted to talk on, is that while one has to collaborate and cooperate with the Dawn Raid, and uh, if you fail to cooperate adequately, you can leave yourself open to a criminal sanction, um, but there is also this very important part of it that you need to stand up for the company's rights at this moment, you know, and ensure that what is being seized is only being seized that's required um, for the investigation and nothing more. Uh, as part of that, you know, in a typical dawn raid, 
you'll have the defence lawyers actually, you know, and it sounds a bit uh, a bit much, but they will stand over the, the authorised officers from the CCPC while they're doing their work and try to keep an idea of what's going on and what's being seized and um, what they're looking at. And that's to ensure that the uh, defendants' rights are adequately uh, adequately protected because the CCPC isn't allowed to go in there and sweep around and look generally for competition law offences. It has to have some um, reasonable suspicion that a specific one has taken place and investigate that only. So that's a very important part of a, a of a dawn raid. And it's actually why also the CCPC has tended to use um, fewer of them over the years because the greater focus and the greater possibility for conflict around which documents are being seized and which shouldn't be seized are uh, arise. Uh, a big process. Typically, the CCPC tries to do it in one day, in and out. But again, it's an area of law that's evolving a little bit. Um, the CCPC has published a notice on it. Um, I encourage anybody uh, that really has nothing to do in their lives to read it. <laughs> and um, just uh, to ensure uh, if a dawn raid is happening, that you have the right people there to ensure that you can protect your interests and you, you find out, you know, as, it, as it's happening, what the uh, CCPC is looking for. And you ask, and this is critical, really, you ask the CCP, CCPC, and it's totally permissible for a reasonable uh, explanation of what they're looking at. It sounds, it sounds um, a little bit far-fetched, but the actual warrants on which the CCPC are doing these investigations have very minimal information in them about the, the scope of the investigation. So it's, it, it does need uh, more clarification. And you see when a European Commission does an investigation, they come with about a 20-page document that explains in detail what the purpose of the investigation is and, uh, you know, where they, what, so where they need to lo- look. And so it's for, much easier for, there's guardrails there, you know, that a, that a lawyer or, or, or a compliance institute person can say, well, okay, that's where you want to look. Therefore, outside of that is irrelevant to the investigation, so you have no rights under your warrant to look there. And all of that has to be done in a, in a style that's very collaborative and cooperative with the with the authorised officers and non-confrontational. But they're very experienced professionals and they do training in, 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 in dawn raids frequently. Thanks. Um, for yeah. that, that was a fascinating insight into something which um, I'm sure all of our members will want to avoid in the first place. Yeah, um, there are a few other sort of tangential, and I, I don't want to dwell on this, but I'll just say that, you know, the CCPC does have power to take witness statements, um, which it does quite a lot, and there are sworn witness statements. Um, it has powers to survey the business, uh, including to phone tap and things like that. There, there are new powers, actually, the CCPC will have once the new act comes into place. And then they have a power of arrest. Um, so they can arrest someone for uh, unsuspicion of breach of a... Uh, of a, a serious breach of a crime and they have done that once i think and once only okay okay thanks philip um so are, are there any other um cases or any upcoming cases that our listeners should should look out for yeah well i think you know the the first we are at really kind of uh a new moment in competition law with this uh, with this 2022 act coming into force. So, for f- for for many years since the the first act, even its predecessor in '96, uh, the CCPC to try to ensure meaningful penalties on proven cartelists, the CCPC um, had to take a criminal prosecution. Um, in other words, had to put together a, a file, uh, send it to the DPP, convince the DPP to take a criminal prosecution, and then go through the criminal courts. Um, and that um, that has been a you, you know not entirely successful method by which to enforce competition law. I think um, it makes it extremely difficult um, for the CCPC to actually win cases. Uh, it, it, it introduces a lot of potential for uh, um, issues arising, particularly, you know, um, this, the relationship uh, between the CCPC, the DPP and the courts. There has to, that's, a, that's a significant check on what the CCPC do. And you could say useful, but uh, as a result of that, while the CCPC has taken some very good um, cartel cases, I think, and um, the fines that have been imposed 
um, have been very small. Uh, so I, I'm 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 not sure if you've seen how large the fines are, but uh, I think the largest ever fine imposed on a company that was proven to be a cartel that is proven to be involved in, in cartel activity. In other words, effectively, you know, cheating customers in a, in a criminal court of law following a jury conviction, a very difficult task to win was I think around 80,000. So, you know, relatively small amounts when you compare it with the kind of fines, like you're seeing the central bank involved in or the data protection people involved in. So the, 2022 Act is designed to try and address that point. And um, essentially, put very simply and um, in, in broad terms, the 22 Act will allow the CCPC to impose what we call civil fines. So a bit closer to the Data Protection Commission and the uh, European Commission and also the Central Bank, effectively. So um, you will no longer have to go to um, a criminal court to persuade a jury beyond a reasonable doubt. The CCPC will be able to decide on liability and the level of fine based on the civil san- standard of um, uh, on the balance of probabilities, excuse me. So a much lower standard and the prospect of much higher fines. Uh, and that's coming uh, and that's part of the 2022 Act. So that's something that I think is is one of the first things to answer your question in a very long-winded way. Sorry, one of the first things to watch is how I guess active the CCPC will be on foot of that. I expect it to come out and be, you know, very invigorated with these uh, new powers and the prospect also of having sizable fines. And you know, it's the sizable fines that get the media headlines. Uh, and uh, I would expect it to be very busy over the next. Uh, 18 to, uh, you know, 24 months and perhaps even longer. That will be in terms of investigating uh, allegations of, of, of uh, violations of the Act. But also, I think what's really going to be very interesting is to see how effective this new system, which is a totally untried system in the Irish regulatory sphere, this system of allowing the CCPC investigate, prosecute, and effectively decide on uh, the fines uh, and liability, how that will work in practice. And I know there's going to be a lot of lawyers who will be limbering up to challenge that, maybe on constitutional grounds and whatnot. But um, it's certainly been scrutinized by the Attorney General very heavily. The Act was delayed to ensure that um, everybody was happy about the constitutionality of this pro- process. And effectively, what the idea is, you have a kind of uh, a European Commission-like entity in the European Commission. Obviously, you know it does investigate, prosecute, and decide on fines in, in the Irish context. So we're gonna we're gonna have something like that. So that's quite exciting. Expect more fines uh, and uh, more investigations. Uh, I guess the other notable case, and I, I'll just touch on this very briefly, is the uh, uh, and I think this is kind of to give you an idea of the the likely type of cases that the CCPC may take, but also the duration of those cases because they don't happen overnight, was the um, this car insurance case that uh, uh, the CCPC took a number of years ago. And just to give you a quick timeline on that, so um, I think the CCPC had concerns about the increases in prices of the uh, premium for car insurance across the market uh, back in 2016. In September 2016, it opened an investigation uh, whether this was... Uh, involving some sort of price collusion, following rises in in premiums from 2014 to uh, 2016. uh, uh, Some of the things that the CCPC was concerned about there was statements like one trade association executive said, there is no doubt that motor rates will go up between 18 and 15 percent. That was quoted in an Irish independent uh, piece. Uh, And the, the CCPC was kind of concerned that these these statements by executives and trade associate members were actually um, uh, sort of part of a, a, a passive uh, agreement to increase prices uh, and a sort of a price signaling arrangement. Uh, a very difficult case to prove, but uh, that was the angle the CCPC was looking at it. They saw another broker executive say in 2015, I would not be surprised if premiums went up by 8% in 2016. They saw other um company executives say that uh, price increases will be slightly more than five to six percent so quite specific amounts all right and um, that investigation then um started in september 2016 
and involved the CCPC doing um, sending out, uh, I think, you know, maybe 30 or 40 document demands, including multiple demands uh, to the same insurance entity. Significant number of uh, witness statements taken from executives of those companies over a two to four year period. Preliminary findings came out in September 2020. So that's a four year process. And it was settled in July 2021. So I would say, you know, that's a probably a relatively good model for uh, an investigation. And that was quite a big investigation. The CCPC had targeted, an, uh, I think, uh, seven or eight, maybe insurance companies. So quite a big investigation. But that's how how long and how difficult these cases are to um, investigate. That would be the the two main notable things I would be uh, I would be uh, looking ahead at for this year. Uh, much more enforcement by the CCPC of the uh, particularly the provision on the um, on the uh, coordination or anti anti uh, anti competitive agreements. There may also be some more focus on abuse of dominance because. Uh, that will be an area where the CCPC will uh, has for the first time meaningful fines and sanctions. So I wouldn't be surprised if also um, what are market leading firms may be targeted um, for investigation, particularly around whether uh, their uh, activities might involve some kind of exclusionary or exploitative um, uh, activities uh, in various in various sectors. And, you know, our, Ireland is a relatively concentrated. Some of the markets are relatively concentrated here. Thanks, uh, Philip. And certainly, you know, what you describe as the new uh, civil actions powers um, mirror, you know, what has happened in financial services and actually with the Data Protection Commissioner. And certainly, you know, it would be our experience that administrative sanctions, as we would characterize them, Mm. um, are a game changer in um, driving behaviours. So um, definitely one to watch, actually. Okay, so looking at, you know, what's more our bread and butter in, in... in, in, in the Compliance Institute and, and for our listeners, what does a good organisational competition compliance programme look like? What would your, you know, what would your hints and tips for, for developing a, a compliance programme be? Well, I guess the first thing, Cathy, I would say is it needs to be, it needs to be backed with enthusiasm by senior management. You know, that's, that's, that's critically important um, uh, for it not just be a document that's uh, gathering dust on a shelf, but, that's uh, alive and uh, and real. And actually, we saw one of the uh, outputs of the car insurance investigation was that each of these, uh, each of the insurance companies that were under investigation at that time, committed also to put in place a a compliance program uh, geared towards ensuring full compliance with competition law. And um, so that's the first thing you you know. It, it should come from senior management and should have their backing, I think. Then in terms of what, of, of the content, while, you know, the, the, a compliance program for uh, different industries might vary slightly, I think the core of a compliance program is, is really around ensuring that there is a, uh, a knowledge around competition law within the business. Um, and that requires some, uh, you know, ad hoc or reasonably regular training in respect of the potential issues, how to spot them, how to identify them, how to raise them, um, should they um, should they come on the horizon. Uh, you know, typical compliance program would have some kind of level of training once once per year um, on, on competition law. Uh, I know that takes people's time. It means pe- pe- having to get people together, but that would be a, that would be a, a, a reasonable um, uh, average that uh, would be expected. And again, you know, the CCPC likes these things. And if you have a good compliance program, it can certainly help mitigate uh, liability in the event of any uh, any issues. Uh, because you, you can argue at least that the um, any breach was an aberration rather than a major part of the company's culture, if you like. So the compliance program will uh, manifest a pro-competitive culture. Um, so if you have uh, you, you would typically have training for uh, for people, including for on people onboarding. Um, and you would also then have a, a, a statement to be signed by those people that they have the tra- they've, they've had the training, that they're um, familiar with competition rules um, uh, and they're satisfied with the training. And then in, in addition to that, you might have um, a compliance officer to whom, you know, staff members can report any issues, can ask questions to. 
uh, and who can uh, kind of act as a, a central centrifugal point around uh, around the issues available to the to 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 all all staff members. Should they want to just ask a few questions, or should they have something that they think needs reporting? And you know, um, in, in some of these cases, uh, that that's very important because. Um, you know, uh, as we've seen the growth of whistleblowing in, in the last number of years, um, to, to, to ensure that, it, you know, employees at all levels, including at the lowest level, have a have a, an internal place to go to to um, to raise uh, voices without necessarily having to step right out into the public forum immediately um, is a very important part. And that would be an important part of a, a compliance program. So I think that's it. it it's, it's really around, you know, statement of the, of the company's intent and, and um, desire and, and, and uh, purpose to comply with all the relevant competition laws. Um, inclusion uh, as part of that, of a, a sort of an ongoing training um, to the extent necessary of, of all members of staff, including at the higher and, and the lower levels, and a clear explanation of those, of those issues. And then also a, a compliance officer, that, which people can bounce questions off on, but can also act as a as a really good um, uh, as a really good um, person to whom uh, anybody might want to report any issues. Thanks, Philip. And and if I may be so bold, as a risk professional, um, you know, perhaps yeah. really understanding the risks. You know, where are you exposed? You know, where are the points at which mm. your staff could um, potentially breach competition law? You know, inadvertently or you know. Hopefully, even the culture where it it, is, it would be inadvertent. So it's really have an understanding of where where you could you could breach. So I would I would say really understand your risk in the in this area um, and and proactively examine it and identify those risks um, and have an understanding. Um, you know, you know what what role everybody has to play in in making sure that you don't fall foul of of competition law. Um, no, that, that's that's a really that's a really great point, Kathy. And I don't know if you, if your experience of the insurance point point investigation as well. I mean, I thought, um, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I thought that was one of the areas where actually it was quite it was, it was a little bit surprising that the CCPC focused so much on that price signaling. And I think it to me it shows that um, for every industry, just as you say, Kathy, that. Yeah. You need to focus on the risk areas, yeah, and it's the yeah. business people in those area in those sectors. I think will know better, certainly than I would, where the risk sensitivities Absolutely. are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we always we always go to our you know the experts or the practitioners to identify risks. So, um, yeah. So um, that, that that's just something you know, you mm. know, I'd like to throw in to, to to think about when when you're designing a program. Taking it down to the personal compliance professionals do like to network. Um, and it's something that actually Compliance Institute, we promote, encourage, we, 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 we put out, you know, establish fora to make sure, sh- you know, to mm. have that um, collaboration because, you know, we, we would be involved in cross-industry initiatives. Um, sure. So how should we behave in our interactions with each other to ensure we don't fall foul of the rules? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a very um, that's a very interesting question, uh, and you know, it's it's funny because actually, um, in the, in the US, we're seeing um, a lot more focus, and you know, in, in competition law, what the US um, calls antitrust, uh, what happens in the US generally percolates through to the rest of the world. It, it does lead on these kind of issues. It's the leader on competition law, anyway. But we're seeing a lot more focus on on um, application of competition to uh, labor negotiations and and, and uh, employee negotiations, things like that. It's kind of the flip side. But what one thing that's coming out of that is that um, in the U.S. they're clamping down on non-competes that uh, that bind ex-employees for a significant period of time from not working for a competitor. So that might be a new area that the CCPC will be looking into. But in terms of uh, individuals gathering at trade associations, you know, it's funny. Of all the, of all the uh, many transactions or, or um, behaviors the CCPC has targeted, it, trade association activity is one of the, one of the possibly the first one on the, on their list because they see trade association activity as um, because it involves members of the same um, group getting together, and there's a famous Adam Smith 
quote from his first book, I don't know, 300 years ago, saying that, you know, members of the profession rarely get together other than to talk about fixing price. The, the CCPC is, is, is quite concerned to ensure that things in those trade associations are, are, are always uh, carefully done on a formal basis, not to allow for any, uh, you know, off-piece discussions around collaborations that would violate the Competition Act. So the kind of standard advice for meeting in a, in a, in a trade association way, and now maybe this isn't really how uh, applicable so much to your situation, but is that you have to have minutes of it. Uh, you know, there has to be an agenda sent out in advance and the minutes have to kind of reflect the agenda. And, you know, there can't be any discussions around that. And if there are any discussions that um, raise issues, the, the, uh, the, the appropriate thing is for the, what the person, uh, for you to say, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not satisfied that this is uh, lawful, which, and, and you should leave then. That's the, that's the kind of um, quintessential behavior that, was, that, that we say. But if, if, you're meet, if you're meeting on a less formal basis, you know, uh, compliance uh, uh, friends and colleagues, I would, uh, I would have thought the, the main issues are discussions that would... Uh, this is relatively broad and possibly not so helpful, but I'll try to get into it a little bit more. Discussions that would effectively have some uh, resulting coordination of, of the uh, of the businesses. Now, I, I would have thought that in your area that would be unlikely, um, but I suppose the first thing would be you know, your your pricing. You can't you can't coordinate on your pricing, obviously. Now, so uh, at your at the level that you're 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 going to be hired on it, if there's an agreement where you uh, decide as um, as a professions that you'll only that you'll only be hired at such and such a level, that would probably be circumspect, uh, unless you're in a trade union. Um, you might have some uh, derogation from it there. But uh, I would have thought the most sensitive thing would be, I suppose, exchange of sensitive information between yourselves around what what businesses are doing in a way that might allow, you know, some of the other um, people in the room to understand a uh, what what one business is doing and therefore bring that back and the other businesses might seek to follow that in a way that they wouldn't have if if they hadn't have got that information. Well, we get together to talk about legislation, incoming legislation, sometimes around how it will be implemented. Um, And I I do think our members are quite conscious of um, oversharing, Um, but it's, it's to make sure that we don't overstep that line. Um, And that some, you know, and, and also to give, make sure that members can talk up to the point where they shouldn't. Now, generally speaking, um, compliance officers while they will understand the strategy of their business to make sure that they can you know they can give appropriate advice um, they won't be intimately involved in um, setting strategy certainly won't be setting strategy or you know really influencing strategy um, yeah. but yes it, it, it's just to make sure that we that we don't overstep the mark but generally if we talk about legislation um and regulatory approaches and how to implement best practice. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's yeah. not it's 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 not something that should be an issue, but it is something that we are conscious of in our conversations with colleagues who are competitors. Um, well, it sounds yeah. like you've got the right the right approach to it. I mean, to to, to my mind, and uh, I'm not saying I know much more than you said, but that all sounds like pro competitive, pro consumer. Um, uh, sharing of uh, expertise uh, for you guys, particularly around new um, new developments that are impacting your your market, if you like. Yeah. And um, you know, to the extent your collaborations or your get-togethers assist in understanding the the risks apply that that may apply, that you disseminate that information to your various businesses. I would have thought that that's very far from being any anti-competitive uh, anti-competitive wrong. I think the areas that you might you know be conscious of are those that you you you'll be fully aware of Cathy. you know is if there's if there's any information that one one party is bringing about the 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 impact of this on pricing and the likely increase on pricing that this this new legislation will have i think those kind of things you need to be a little bit more more careful of and obviously if it gets further you know down to like you know 
if you agreed about on a particular minimal strategy as being the correct compliance response to new legislation, and that minimal strategy was the cheapest and the most cost cost effective, and everybody swore that this would be the type that they would implement in their business. I think that might raise issues as well, just yeah. um, potentially. I, I would doubt you have that kind of formalistic um, uh, agreements in, in place. And, you know, it does sound to me that the overall purpose of your get-togethers is very, is very, very healthy, very sound, uh, and that the, um, that the caution that you're currently operating under is, uh, is, is, is effective uh, and that the output isn't going to, in all uh, likelihood, give rise to competition issues. That's uh, how I would have thought about it. Um, but as you say, education is key on this, so it needs it needs to be front of mind with with everybody. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, yeah. this is an evolving type of area of law. You know, and yeah. to some extent, each public enforcement agency has a lot of power, not just in respect of enforcement, but also in respect of policy. You know, which areas they should be enforcing most. Uh, and and we've seen that. that that's the point I mentioned in the U.S. You know, they're really. Uh, with the Biden administration and the progressives uh, that, have, that are now heading the FTC and the DOJ, they're looking much more at trying to ensure uh, somehow uh, la- labor rights are bolstered by competition law enforcement. Um, and so uh, they're taking this agenda, which is quite new, that non-competes for, for employees post-termination are um, potentially um, unlawful per se. So yeah, that, that's just an example of how this law evolves as the yeah. agency evolves, if you like. Um, so it's 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 not always possible to be a hundred percent clear about where the risks are. And you know, your own case, the our, the insurance car insurance case, our own case that we were involved in together, uh, was was one of those cases. You know, it's that was the first ever price signaling case taken by the CCPC, and, and quite a novel, quite a novel idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that uh, neatly leads us into to my next question, um, and we are nearing the end of the podcast. Um, so what do you think are the main challenges in today's business environment from a competition perspective? I think it's it's really, you know, it does lead on from what we were saying. It's, yeah. it's about foreseeability. It's about predictability. And uh, it, it's, a, it, it's about being able to have confidence that, current activities don't give rise to anti-competitive issues and that the CCPC isn't, and you know, it's, it's a, it's a mature agency. It's not one that changes its policy quite frequently, but, and this is, might be a little trite and unfair on the agency. I have great respect for the people that work there, but uh, you know, I think they are, the agency is, is, is going to want to have a, a win relatively quickly, you know, um, with these new powers. I think that's fair enough. And a a win for an agency is is something that garners positive media and headlines, uh, and that's um, you know a, a high a high fine on culpable business. So um, the the question that all competition lawyers within the Dublin community are 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 kind of contemplating is what focus will the CCPC have in the coming months and years with these new powers? Um, we know that the CCPC is, uh, you know, it's staffing up for more enforcement. Um, and like every, like every business and every agency, staff is getting, you know, recruiting people is difficult in fairness, but they are staffing up for a bold new era. With these new powers, um, they have the ability to um, focus not just on cartel behavior, but also on, as I was saying, abusive dominance. So there's a much wider spectrum that they might look at. And it's, you know, I, I wouldn't try to predict where, where, they will, where they will go with that, you know. I think in some sense, the CCPC will, will, want, to, uh, will want to target businesses that are directly, allegedly directly uh, increasing prices on consumers above and beyond inflation. I think, you know, there'll be, there is uh, concern and pressure and, and pressure around whether price increases are 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 driven wholly by inflation or there might be some fat in it. Um, I, and I think that's certainly you know mar- market leading businesses in consumer direct consumer uh, product will be um, will be something that they would they would like to see uh, their focus. But apart from that, it's quite it's quite difficult to know. So there's an uncertainty, I suppose, and a kind of a 
stasis right now about what's going to happen. I, I think it's kind of to be to be ready to react. And I know I'm, I'm seeing a lot of clients coming in and saying, can we do a mock dawn raid? Can we do a little bit of compliance? Can we make sure that we're ready for investigation? What other type of things might happen? Uh, compliance programs in place. Let's have a review of it. So uh, everybody's kind of conscious and aware of this new era. So I, 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 I think that's, that's all we can do right now, you know. Um, and I wish I could say that uh, particular areas are more likely to be uh, under scrutiny than uh, than others. But the CCPC is uh, is also response driven, you know, and evidence driven. So if it does have a particularly um, good complaint, if you like, about a a, a, a sector being cartelized or um, a, an entity engaging in anti-competitive abuse, then um, that 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 can help um, trigger the CCPC to investigate that um, certainly because already it has you know the, it may have the um, reasonable suspicion level of evidence uh, to go and get a warrant to do a search. Thanks, Philip. And and final final question: You've touched already on the the new Competition Act. So, um, are there any other big developments in competition law in in the me- the near medium term? Yes, well, there, are, there there is a lot of developments around merger control as well, which I, I won't go into now because it's more um, it's more specific when 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 your business is involved in a merger and what you um, need to do and um, notify. But essentially, you know, any deal, uh, no matter what size that your business is involved in, um, can be called in by the CCPC for review if the CCPC gets concerned about it. So that's one thing, merger control. I think on the other side. You know, at, at the European level, um, we're seeing a huge amount of development of law, particularly around big data. So we have the what's called the Digital Markets Act. Uh, um, it's kind of specialist competition law for uh, big, big, big tech. And, it, it you know, it's it's a, it'll be enforced by the European Commission um, and it will um, try to uh, ensure that what they call um, GAFA, you know, Google, Apple, Facebook, uh, Amazon are better regulated in how they how they use um, all this masses of really rich data that they get um, uh, in order to um, enhance their market position. Um, but but also to ensure that those uh, big tech entities are not uh, engaged in favoring their own um their own businesses uh when when they are uh, operating a so called you know digital market so um you know a lot of allegation has been made around you know whether amazon which makes its own products is favoring those products on its on its on its market in the marketplace the amazon marketplace over rival market p- p- products so um there's going to there's sure to be a lot of enforcement because that's just new as well at, at the eu level into into those companies and obviously they're predominantly irish based so uh we'll probably see uh, a lot of news uh about that and certainly if you're in if you're, if you're in one of those companies it's going to be uh well let's say an exciting time for you <laughs> uh, i think those were the, the those are the main highlights i do think as well the u.s approach in relation to non-competes for um that 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 will filter through here pretty quickly so businesses who seek to um um, require uh, you know employees at any level um, to observe their their non competes for gardening leaves. That that will be something that uh, that may attract some competition law enforcement as well. Thanks, Philip. Um, well, You're that well. brings us to the end of of our ah. podcast, and I'd like to sincerely thank you um, because that was a really wide ranging uh, discussion, um, and starting with you know why competition law and and, and the policy objectives around it and 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 mm-hmm. how it aligns actually with um, our listeners and their mandate to, to look after consumers best interests and we looked at the regulatory framework and the development of the competition and consumer protection commission it's a mouthful the CCPC. it is it's absolutely is. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you know if you look it up i, I once googled it at the start and uh, um, it had CC, the communist what google came up with is the central committee of the party of China or something, Communist oh, right. Party of China. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah well, I, I'm used to saying IFSPRA, or I was at one point, so I should be able to handle that one. Oh, that's that's a tricky uh, one, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So we looked at um, how you could fall file. So anti-competitive agreements, the abuse of dominant position and merger and acquisitions. We've looked at in the enforcement powers um, of the CPC, CCPC. Yes. Um, and Dawn Raids, especially, uh, we've had a first on this podcast with the mention of bagged cement, but that was <laughs> a really, um, interesting and useful nugget of information around that, that CRH case that, that you took us through. Um, so we've also, the, the, we've talked about the new act, um, and the, the, the new powers that the CCPC are going to get. Um, we've talked about the car insurance case, um, which, uh, will be particularly, interesting to some of our members um and then we've we've had a look ahead um at what's happening and certainly some of our members have already had a look at you know the digital markets act and um mm. that, that that that's really relevant um to our members and you, you did give us um some hints as to how to put in place a compliance program and also how we as compliance members when we're interacting with um with our fellow professionals fellow provi- compliance professionals how to, to keep on the right side of the law on that. So that was a really wide ranging, very useful and very interesting discussion, Philip. So um, thank you. Thank you very much, actually, for giving us your time and your expertise. Um, well, thank you very much, Cathy. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for those kind comments. I'm not sure how informative it was, but um, it's always interesting to talk about competition uh, and how it might in, 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 uh, impact um, both your members and consumers more widely. And um, oh, yeah, it was, it was great to talk to you, Kathy, and I'd love to talk to you again for this opportunity. Yeah. Yes, uh, we might take you up on that, Philip. So um, thank you to Philip for sharing your insights and expertise on this important topic for compliance professionals. And thanks to you for listening to the Compliance Files podcast brought to you by the Compliance Institute. I do hope that you find the podcast interesting and useful, and we would be very grateful if you would review or rate this podcast. Until the next episode, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Compliance Files. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes.